Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Florida's presidential primary is just a few days away. In addition to weekends at Mar-a-Lago, President Trump has been rallying supporters and raising money for his re-election campaign. The Democratic race kicked off last summer with a very large field. Now Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are making their final pitches. So that's where the candidates stand. But what's important to you, the voters? This election, we're doing something different here at WUSF. We're covering 2020 with a focus on the issues, not the horse race. To do that, we've teamed up with colleagues at WMFE in Orlando, and we've spent a lot of time in the community listening to you. We call it the I-4 Votes Project. And here to talk about the project are Mary Shedden, WUSF's news director, WUSF political reporter Steve Newborn, and joining us from Orlando is Abe Abaraya, reporter with WMFE. Thanks to uh, all of you for being here. Thank you. Hey there. Glad to be here. Mary, starting off, talk about what was the guiding decision to uh, to do this survey? I know that uh, the trust and some of the media trust issues that cropped up after 2016 had a lot to do with it. Right. So in 2016, it was a very contentious election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And we got a lot of feedback from our audience, both in Orlando and here in Tampa, all over the country. Media heard that the way we covered the race was not helpful. But at that time, we realized and we started talking as news people around the state of Florida that we needed to do something different. And about a year ago, radio stations across Florida and Florida public media, we decided to start talking about covering the race differently. And we teamed up with WMFE in Orlando to cover one of the most important parts of the country when it comes to politics, which is the I-4 corridor. And so we created a survey um, that was online. We at WUSF went out and uh, interviewed people and talked to them about the survey. And we got over 800 people filled out and completed the surveys. Abe, what were uh, some of the most important issues to crop up as, as these surveys started to come back? As Mary mentioned, you know, we, we definitely wanted to reach out to people and kind of uh, meet them where they were. And one of the things that has kind of been surprising to me is, is how important healthcare has been for the people on the I-4 corridor. That consistently has ranked um, really high among all the people who took the survey. And then um, even when you look at some of the demographic issues, you know, we, we this was a non-scientific survey. So we had, you know, the, the people who took it tended to be more educated. They tended to be women. They tended to be Democrat. We swung that way. But even when you look at the Republicans uh, who took the survey for us, healthcare became, you know, just a really important issue for this group. Uh, healthcare, the environment and gun policy also as well. And Social Security, Medicare, are kind of the, the issues that cropped up to the top. When you look at, you know, when you ask people, what is your number one issue? The, the issue that dropped uh, that, that became the number one for a lot of people was defeating Donald Trump was to, you know, deal with the president that way. But when you ask them, well, what's your number two? What's your number three? And you start aggregating it, then that issue kind of dropped off. And then you start seeing more of these um, kind of everyday issues, you know, everyday economic issues like health care kind of rising to the top of the field. Let's delve into healthcare a little bit more here. Uh, our colleague Julio Ochoa met with uh, some of the voters who fell, filled out the survey. He tried to find out why healthcare is so important to them in this election year. 
I sat down with Phyllis Whitney outside of Starbucks in Tampa. She says she tends to vote left, even though she's never had a party affiliation. She told me she worked as a CPA and business manager before retiring. You're on Medicare. Why do you care? Why is it number one for you? I have a daughter and grandchildren. And um, my daughter's on Obamacare. Uh, my grandchildren are on Medicare, uh, Medicaid. Um, it's... Uh, very hard to afford. Uh, my daughter's insurance is uh, a high deductible insurance and it's hard for her to pay the bills. I mean, she pays the premiums and then she's still got to pay for the care. The insurance company hasn't covered a thing. Phyllis says she's not convinced that Medicare for All would work. And as for a government-run public option, she says the lobbyists in the insurance industry would never let that happen. So where does that put you when you, when you look at the candidates? As a listener, I'm listening for somebody to come up with something that I think might work. Um, I had hoped that the Republicans were going to come up with something. They certainly promised they would. Uh, I'm listening. I haven't heard anything. Like Phyllis, most of the voters who took our informal survey chose health care as their top economic issue. They picked it over economic growth and job security, over affordable housing and the environment. Those who picked it were split nearly evenly between their preference for Medicare for All and a government-run public insurance option. Only about 10% said they wanted to keep government out of the healthcare industry. Anastasia Bazzari is probably more familiar than most with universal health care. The middle-aged single mother from the city of Seminole grew up in Italy, where the government runs health care. She also knows all about the higher income taxes in Italy that help pay for it, up to 42%. So she's understandably skeptical of candidates who say everyone's taxes won't go up in a single-payer system. So don't come up and tell me that my taxes are going to stay the same or that you're only taxing one class of citizens. We, this is a capitalistic society. So these plans that are like thrown in the, in the world don't make sense, you know, because if you do a, you know, a little math, you know that somebody needs to pay. Anastasia, who's a dual citizen, told me she just wants a candidate who will explain how they will pay for their plan. She's self-employed as a real estate broker and has private insurance. You know how much I pay for insurance? You want to know? Sure. $1,000 a month. Plus, wait, this here, here comes the nice thing. $18,000 deductible. $18,000. $18,000. Critics of a single-payer system say transforming the American system would force people off their employer health insurance. Some unions have fought hard for those benefits. Richard McDaniel lives in St. Petersburg with his wife. She's part of a union renegotiating its contract. He says their health insurance benefits are good, but her employer uses them as a bargaining chip to keep wages low. Switching to a single-player plan for someone like her in a union, would that would take that off the negotiating table, and they could look at wages and other um, benefits instead of fighting over health care. So I don't... I don't think people love private insurance. I think people love to be insured. No matter who wins the primary, and eventually the White House, history shows that one person or even one party will have a hard time changing the health care system. Republicans found that out in 2017. For I4 Votes, I'm Julio Ochoa in Tampa. So that was uh, Julio Ochoa talking with uh, some of the voters about why health care is so important to them. Steve, you're an old hand at covering uh, political races here in Florida. What was different about 2016 and 
How does it compare, do you think, to 2020, at least in terms of the presidential race? Right. You go back to 2016 and the phenomena of Donald Trump was just beginning to coalesce. Um, I remember the first time he came to Tampa, he came to the Sundome right here on the USF campus, University of South Florida campus. And there were 12,000 people. Now, this place only holds 10,000. They actually had to hold it over two hours so they could let people, uh, you know, filter in up to the upper rafters. And there was 2,000 people outside. It was a phenomenon that a lot of people didn't see coming. And the difference between this race and that race, again, is Donald Trump. He's not... He's not so much a phenomena as a known quantity. A lot of people either love him or a lot of people either hate him. Some people both at the same time. Right. Right. So so the biggest issue that I see out there is easy, is either keeping Donald Trump or getting rid of Donald Trump and replacing him with one of the two remaining Democratic candidates. Abe, how do you see it from where you're sitting in Orlando? I, I remember several months ago, uh, gosh, it was probably about a year or so ago that uh, Donald Trump held his uh, his 2020 campaign kickoff in Central Florida. Absolutely. And that, that definitely speaks to the importance of the I-4 corridor, uh, you know, this kind of swing region of a swing state that has gone for, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats in the past. So when you're talking about the issue of the president himself, you know, like I said before, it's it's very much top of mind when you ask people what's the most important issue. And then when again, when you go back and say, well, what are some of the other issues that are important to you? Um, Those things like healthcare start to crop up. And, you know, in a lot of ways that makes sense. You know, that that was part of the reason why we started, you know, we wanted to do this was that we wanted to make sure that we were being very conscious of not covering a horse race to, you know, basically, you know, talk to the people in our region who are people who are going to be voting and who people who do have questions about uh, this this election coming up and, and whether it's constitutional amendments or it's uh, presidential candidates or different stances on health care within, you know, a given party. We wanted to make sure that we were able to sort of act as a, a resource uh, for those people to be able to, to, to go to and look for information on that. And then additionally, when campaigns come into town, like when you have Donald Trump come through or when you have, um, um, you know, Mike Bloomberg in Orlando on Super Tuesday, that we're able to talk to them and say, you know, hey, let's let's not just talk about what's going on right now. Let's let's not just talk about the news of the day. Let's talk about what are the issues that are driving how people are going to be voting in this election. To uh, Steve's point about the phenomena of Donald Trump, he was such a different candidate. And one of the big criticisms of media in 2016 was that we listened to the polls. We kept reporting about poll after poll after poll. And the fact is, we got it wrong. The polls, they missed the mark. They said Hillary Clinton had a huge percentage chance of winning the presidency, and she didn't. And so that really speaks to why we needed to improve what we did. And because people saw us reporting on information that just it didn't come come to pass. And that speaks to one of the things you were asking earlier, Bradley, about trust. And to me, that's one of the key things is that election, a lot of people said, we don't trust you anymore in telling us the information that's true, because what we were reporting wasn't what happened. Uh, A Gallup poll just last year says only 41 percent of Americans say they really trust the media in television and newspapers and radio. And we need to do a better job. Steve, you led the in-person survey taking part of this initiative. What did you hear uh, from people who filled this out uh, with regards to attitudes about political journalism and just journalists in general? 
Well, I, I personally didn't get uh, much in the way of that. Just I went to a, a First Friday event in Lakeland. Uh, this is back in November, the first uh, Friday in November. I didn't get that, but a couple of uh, other reporters did. Um, we had a total of six reporters go out uh, to various events in October and November, just when the campaign was starting to heat up. You know, we got a lot of comments about, you know, NPR being leftist, that sort of thing. And uh, one of the people had a couple of comments about the media not being trustworthy. Abe, what about you? Um, I mean, you know, just from personal experience, we, we've definitely, um, you know, seen kind of the, the change in the perceptions of people who are working in media. You know, I can remember when the Pulse nightclub shooting, for example, happened. I remember um, being out in front of Orlando Hospital, or excuse me, Orlando Health, uh, one of the hospitals that had a lot of the victims. Uh, and, you know, people were looking over at, at the group of reporters who were, you know, essentially where they, as close to the hospital as they could be and kind of referring to everyone as vultures. And, you know, so there, there's definitely been sort of a trend um, towards mistrust in media. Uh, and I, I think that that's definitely, you know, this last election definitely played into that. And uh, that, that trend is continuing. You know, we definitely hear from from listeners every day who, who will call and, and, you know, reach out to our newsroom to talk about, you know, how we're covering different issues. Um, so I think those, you know, issues about how media cover different things have kind of become laid bare in the last few years because of the amount of mistrust in it. You know, that being said, you know, we obviously are hoping to regain um, as much of that trust as we can. Uh, we, you know, definitely want to cover uh, issues as, you know, from a, a non-biased point of view as much as we can. So, um, you know, hopefully we're, we're, we're working towards changing that attitude. Yeah, I'd Steve. like to tack on to something that Mary said earlier about the whole genesis for this voter survey project really had a, you know, a start back in the 2016 election. Um, the, the whole phenomenon of Donald Trump caught a lot of people su by surprise. But you t I tell you, I went out to a couple of Trump events, not only that Sundome event with 12,000 people. I went to a lot of Donald Trump events, and you could see the groundswell of support. I mean, this was a phenomenon. This was, this was very strong opinions being aired that you didn't really come through when they talked about the horse race and the polls on national media. Uh, and so the whole point is just getting out there, talking to people. You, you get a much better feel of the pulse of the community, but you're just getting out and talking to people. And that's exactly what we tried to do here. Mary, real quick. And this is speaking to exactly what we're doing as part of the I-4 Votes project. We are taking our reporting and we're going into the community. Instead of just covering the events, we're going to be going in and engaging with people in communities because only 20% of Americans have ever been interviewed or met a journalist. And we're going to go and find them. And that's going to be at the heart of all our reporting. And it's also worth saying, too, that we, we are journalists who live in this community. We're covering this community. It's something else. I remember when I was working in Georgia in 2018 and we had this competitive governor's race with Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, and we had been covering that for months, uh, me and my colleagues in Georgia and other media outlets in the state. And then all of a sudden national outlets kind of glommed onto it. And it, it, it just – it irritated me just a little bit that that finally national reporters were, were paying attention and parachuting into this. This isn't parachute journalism. No, we're, we're here. here. We're right here. We're living here. We're your neighbors. And we're hoping our reporting reflects that. 
If you just joined us, you're listening to Florida Matters on WUSF. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about the I-4 Votes Project with my colleagues Mary Shedden and Steve Newborn, along with WMFE reporter Abe Abariah. We'll take a short break here and continue the discussion in just a moment. This is Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Today we're talking about what's important to you in the 2020 election. And uh, to help us in that discussion, we've got WUSF's news director, Mary Shedden, WUSF political reporter Steve Newborn, and WMFE Orlando reporter Abe Abariah. Abe, uh, just a bit ago, you talked about some of the major sort of top of mind issues that came up in the survey. Uh, healthcare was the biggest one. What were some issues, though, that maybe didn't get lots of, of similar responses, but just kind of jumped out to you? Well, I think one of the things that was surprising to me was that, you know, foreign policy and, you know, military and veteran issues didn't come up as as being, you know, very kind of top of mind for the people who were taking our survey. And again, you know, with that caveat being that, um, you know, there were there were demographic issues with the responses that we got. But one of the things that did sort of surprise me was the gun policy issue. And I think that some of the reason that that was bubbled pretty high up, you know, with the people who took the survey was because we live in Florida and we've had the, you know, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. We've had Parkland down in South Florida. Obviously, there have been um, shootings in, in, you know, pretty much everywhere across the state at this point. So those sort of issues and and sort of people taking those um, events to heart and and that changing the way that they're looking at different politicians was, was definitely surprising to me. And Abe, you've mentioned a few times that this was not a scientific survey, that it, that the uh, the respondents tend to lean older, white, female, uh, democratic, progressive, liberal, however you want to describe that into the political spectrum. But what were you doing to make sure that you were trying to get as accurate a sample as possible when we were doing this? Well, there, there was a couple of things that we did. I mean, we're looking at the voter rolls initially. We wanted to look at um, the number of registered voters who were registered, um, independent, Republican, Democrat, smaller parties across the spectrum, and try and look at people who had you know registered to vote in Florida and see if there was a way to maybe reach out to them. And we did a little bit of that, but honestly, that marketing directly to those people did not initially uh, work out as well as we had hoped. And so when we started getting back the surveys and they were kind of skewed one way, we definitely used some advertising dollars on Facebook to try and target people in just geographic areas that maybe, you know, we're, we're leaning a little bit more towards the Republican or independent side to try and boost that end of the survey. And that, that was how we tried to balance it out. While the demographics of the people who answered the survey may not be as representative as we would have wanted of the entire community across the I-4 corridor, uh, we do have a broad spectrum of people who took the survey, and we do have people from all political stripes who have taken it. And we have a lot of people who are willing to talk to reporters in this. That was one of the questions we asked was, you know, would you be willing to talk to a reporter? And, you know, the majority of people said, yeah, in the last few weeks here, we, we've definitely been putting that to, uh, to use to reach out and talk to people, you know, about the issues that matter to them. And I think that's a really important point. We weren't trying to be Gallup or any or Pew Research or anything like that. We're journalists in communities, and we wanted to get 
a, a snapshot of what our community felt were the important issues. And it's our baseline that's going to help us shape our coverage. So we know how important health care is. And we kind of knew that, but we didn't want to assume anything. And I think that's the first part of really working to regain the trust of our audience and, and the community is we aren't assuming anything anymore. And we are going out and we ask these questions. I actually attended a church service in St. Petersburg, and it was a wonderful experience. Most of the people had no idea what the station was about, and this was a chance to talk to them about things that mattered to them, issues, things like the minimum wage, health equity, health care costs, enormous issue. This gives us an opportunity to start our reporting, and it's really what we're going to be doing all the way through November, and probably you're going to see it in other reporting as well. Steve. Right. We made an effort to get a diverse audience when we actually went out and talked to people physically. Right. We had people at a rural Oktoberfest in Manatee County. One of our reporters was at Pasco Pride, talking to the LGBTQ community there. We went to the Sarasota Farmer's Market in downtown Sarasota. Stephanie Colombini went to the Ebor Market in Ebor City in Tampa, which is a heavily Hispanic area of Tampa. And Mary went to an African-American church. So we went to places where we're not going to find the you know, the New Hampshire or Iowa caucus kind of crowd, if you get my drift. Right. People who are super duper engaged in politics and live it, eat it, breathe it all the time. Mary, what what you said earlier, though, it, it, it kind of strikes back at this age old problem in journalism, because, you know, we sit in our editorial meetings and we come up with ideas for stories and we try to think about what's important to people. And then you start making calls on those stories and you realize... Not so much. It's that age-old issue of, you know, we can sit here in a newsroom and we're, you know, we, we like to think we're generally smart people, but we don't know everything. And in many cases, our audience knows much more than, than we ever could. Very much so. And I think that with politics in particular, because it's such an emotional issue, it's such an important issue, we're paying less attention to presidential candidates, and there are a whole lot fewer than there were a few weeks ago, <laughs> right. um, which is a good thing in some ways in that we can really focus on what these candidates are saying about the issues. So if we choose, we have the, we are blessed that we have NPR coverage and there are reporters covering those presidential races. But what we're going to be covering is the Florida angle, the I-4 area, which really spans from Pinellas County, St. Petersburg, all the way through to Volusia County. And that region really is an incredible snapshot of this country. And these votes do matter. And we realize that you matter. And we're hoping that's going to show in our reporting. Well, you mentioned NPR and some of our colleagues at other public radio stations around the country are involved in, in sort of a larger project that's bringing together all these different pieces. Tell us about this. It's called uh, America Amplified. It is called America Amplified. And so I4 Votes, the collaborative we have, is one of nine different collaborations around the country, public media collaborations that's teaming up to do these kind of stories where we're talking to voters. You may have heard a few on WUSF. They were talking to some young Hispanic college students in, I believe, Nevada a few weeks ago. Another story about the Iowa caucus and talking to minority voters in those areas. The whole idea is that we're going to be doing listening events, public forums, crowdsourcing, hence the amplification of the American voice. So you're going to be hearing our stories from the Central Florida and Tampa Bay area, but you're also going to be hearing stories from around the country. Steve, how would you say taking part in this project has changed your reporting already? 
Well, I tell you, it's nice to get out in the community, get off your desk, get away right. from watching, you know, CNN or whatever's up on the TV, talk to people. It's amazing what you'll hear when you go out there, right? Um, and that's true with any kind of journalism. You learn things that you didn't expect to learn. You might go to an event with a preconceived notion of what it might be like, and you end up being surprised. And you get all sorts of story ideas just by going to these events that you wouldn't have ordinarily got by sitting at your desk typing away. Abe, what about you? I was able to go to uh, Daytona and to Lakeland recently uh, to talk to people. And it's it's just nice to kind of meet people okay. where they are in their homes. And, you know, for a lot of people, just sitting down and talking about issues and, and why something is important to them is, is extremely illuminating. With a lot of people, you get a sense of who they are and their identity and, you know, the things that are important to them. And, and you know, w- one of the gentlemen I talked to, I mean, he had been in the armed forces, uh, traditionally had been kind of a Republican, was very worried about deficits, things like that. And Donald Trump just didn't sit well with him. And then Parkland happened. And, you know, gun policy just kind of bubbled up as this, this issue for him. And he felt like, you know, I... I'm in the armed forces. I understand, you know, firearms and these are weapons of war. I don't think that some of these things should be, you know, available to the civilian population. It ended up sort of changing some of his political views. And it's it's really fascinating on, on the other end of that to, to hear people who say, you know, this has been something that's kind of core to me to to have the fundamental right to bear arms. And, and the Constitution is sacred and, and needs not be changed. And it's about that right. So Kind of getting out there and talking to people, it's really been been fascinating just to, to kind of get that perspective. Mary, how will you know if this project has been a success? This project will be a success if we stop navel-gazing <laughs> and thinking about ourselves. And we've been doing a little bit of talking about what we're going to do. But really, success is going to be a conversation with you who's listening. And having that conversation, whether it's at a coffee shop, because we're out a little more, we're talking to groups. Um, If you're engaging, if you're a Twitter person and you're talking with us on the I4Votes Twitter handle or the WUSF Public Media Facebook page, we want to hear from you. And if we're not hearing from you, we're doing something wrong. And we're going to be holding events. We're going to be out there all the way through November. And as we know, in Florida and presidential elections, it doesn't end on Election Day usually. So we'll probably be talking to you uh, about the election well past the Election Day in November until it's finally decided. Um, But it really won't succeed without you. Well, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Mary Shedden, Steve Newborn, Abe Abariah, thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Denora Prevost and Mary Shedden. George Galvin is our engineer. You can listen to Florida Matters anytime by subscribing to our podcast or visiting WUSFnews.org. And a special note about the next Florida Matters. As we've been talking, next Tuesday, March 17th, is the Florida primary. And WUSF News will have special live coverage all night from the Tampa Bay region, from across Florida and right around the country. It starts at 6.30 before polls close with a special Florida Matters. Then at 7, we're going statewide with the Florida Roundup, where we'll be taking your calls. And After that, we'll be providing you with updates throughout the evening, along with our colleagues at NPR stations in Arizona, Illinois, and Ohio. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week.